Last night uh, at our Saturday night service, we had a, uh, a good friend of Glenn Madden, uh, Phil Kahn, preach. He's an international evangelist. He also is an MB uh, pastor currently, uh, down as a transitional pastor. And so when we're thinking about the program... Um, we want to keep all of our campuses in sync with the teachings of Romans 8. And last week we had Bill Hogg preaching on Romans 8 verses, yeah, we liked him, um, verses uh, 1 and 2. So I'm going to go back to those verses now, to uh, verses 1 and 2. Here we go. Uh, no, it's come up there. Ah, there we go. Unravel me. That's, that's not the verse. Uh, uh, do we have the verses from Romans? Wow, I'm going to have to use a Bible. Um, if, we, if we find the verses, they should be there. Um, we will turn to them. But grab hold of your Bibles as you always do. And, and I'm going to, to keep our teaching in sync, I'm going to preach these two verses. Bill did a brilliant job, and he preached on justification and the power and strength of justification. Doesn't justification sound so much better in a Scottish accent? Uh, I loved it. It had that John Knox reformer feel to it, didn't it? You are not condemned. And now that doesn't sound Scottish. Elaine, I apologize. Um, <laughs> Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What Bill explained to us is explained to us is that we have been acquitted in the great courthouse of heaven, that we weren't stood condemned. We weren't stood as, uh, as condemned individuals who in ourselves could not in any way gain the kingdom of God, the forgiveness of God, and the law of God condemned us. But justification... We have been judged rightly. Is that through Christ Jesus, we have now been judged to be righteous. Not because of our own works. Not because of our own actions. Not because of our own goodness and how religious we are. And how spiritual we are. And how effective we are. No, no, no. We are judged righteous because of Christ's sacrifice upon the cross. And because of the sacrifice upon the cross, we are acquitted. We are forgiven. A declare goes up in heaven and a, a, a hammer goes down and declares, you are forgiven. You were condemned, but you are no longer condemned. And we thought a lot about this idea of justification last week. The idea that there was a price to be paid. The idea that there was the wrath of God towards humanity and judgment coming towards humanity because of our sinfulness. But there, as Christ cried out, it is finished. He took the judgment upon himself. I often say when I'm teaching set free. Why did Jesus struggle so much? 
Why did he struggle and, and weep and sweat blood and, and, and in the Garden of Gethsemane experience the pain and the agony of that? Why did he, he go through that when other great Christians like Polycarp and the apostles and, and many of the great early fathers gladly died for God, gladly died for Christ, and yet Christ didn't want this cup. Christ seemed to battle with the reality of what he would face. Well, the reality is this. That all of our grief, that all of our pain, that all of our agony was poured into Jesus Christ. Now, I love you all. I, I welcome you. And if you're new to Willow Park Church, come and say hello to me at the door. I am a friendly person, I promise. Uh, and I welcome you. And thank you for coming. But if, you, if I had the capacity to embody all of your story, all of your failing, all of your, if I may be as bold, your sin, your darkness, your pain, your difficulty, If I could embody that and have it poured on me, through me, and comprehend all of your agony and all of your pain, can I tell you what that would do to me? (laughs) Indeed. It would would break me. It It would crush me. I love you, but it may cause me to be able to need medication to get through it. Because your story, your darkness, your pain, your sin, if I perceived it and understood it, it would break me. And yet Christ died upon the cross and took the whole of humanity's pain, punishment, sinfulness upon himself so that we can cry, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's the difference. It has come into every one of us. So therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand this. Because we live in a society that is continually condemning us as Christians. We live internally where we condemn ourselves in our life. We're not good enough. We don't come up to to the mark We feel like we've got shame and guilt and failure within our lives. And I'm the battlefield of humanity and the battlefield of your life. When we push our way through the mud and the bog, through the trenches of doubt and fear, being knocked back by the pain and the blows of the enemy that comes against us, of the accuser who accuses you, Of the one that tells you you're not good enough. The one that says to you, you're a failure. The one that says that you're not spiritual enough. You haven't prayed enough. You're not on fire enough. Look at the way you think. Look at the way you speak. Look at the way that you act. And we are being knocked back by the... By the pushes and by the lies and by the whisper campaign that is out there to stop you living in the fullness of Christianity. The whispers of the enemy to hold you back. The lies to take hold of you. 
In the trenches and in the muck in the ancient world, the great kings of Europe like Alfred and Edward, as the marauding Vikings would come screaming towards them with their axes and with their, 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 their ale-induced craze and other substances would come towards them. The one thing that the armies of the ancient medieval era had to do, they had to lift the banner high so that everybody knew the banner was flying. Everybody knew that the king was still in the battle. Everybody knew where they could look to when the, when the marauding invaders were coming towards the army. They would lift the banner high and they would look to that banner and that banner would give them courage. That banner would give them strength. That banner would encourage them to keep fighting. And do you know what the banner of the gospel is? Do you know what the banner of a Christian faith is through Christ's death and resurrection, the banner that we lift high, that we rally around. It is this banner and across it is written these words blowing in the wind in the middle of those dark battles. There are these words. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's the banner that when you're in the battle, Lift it up. Fly the banner. Look to the banner. Remind yourself. You see, the fuel of religion is driven by condemnation and by your hard works and by you trying to achieve everything in your own strength. But the fuel of this verse is driven by the grace of God, which is driven by the work of the Spirit that is at work within your life. You see, we have to move the idea of that you are not condemned, but you are forgiven. That you will never be condemned because Christ has acquitted you. We have to move this from an intellectual knowledge and a theological truth to becoming a living reality that is deep within our inner man. So how do we do that? How does this happen that it goes from my brain to my heart, if you like to use a cliche? How does this work if I want to embody the reality of this? It works in one way. It works through the reality of the Holy Spirit which is present in your life. You see, the very nature of the third person of the Trinity and the beauty about Romans 8, it's full of great Trinitarian truth. And we will look at the Trinitarian power. Even in these two, three verses, you can see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit dancing with each other as they work together as we understand it. But here, it is the work of of the Holy Spirit that transforms a biblical truth into a human reality in the heart of a sinner who has been saved by grace. Your inner man, 
your understanding of this, the connection that takes place when we think that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. It is the law of the Spirit that lives within you. It is the Spirit that makes it possible. It is the Spirit that changes our perspective. It is the Spirit that works within us. The Spirit. Literally, in the Greek, in in New Testament Greek, the breath of God. It is the breath of God within you that makes the biblical theological truths come alive. That you can walk through the battlefields of life telling and declaring, I stand under the banner that I am not condemned, but I am forgiven and I am free. It is the spirit within you that does the work. And that's why it's important when we know there is a theology of resisting the, of the spirit... It is important that we are not a biblical people who resist the Spirit, but we are a biblical people who embrace the Spirit. You can only live Romans 8 through, as we go the next 10 weeks through it, through the power and the presence of the Spirit being at work within your life. Do not resist the Holy Spirit's power within your life because the Holy Spirit's power releases that freedom and brings that life because you're either under the law of sin and death or you're under the law of the Spirit. And as for me, I'd want to live under the law of the Spirit. What does the law of the Spirit mean? Well, in Plato Greek, of course, the word spirit is uh, the creative force of creativity. And I love that thought. That the breath of God is within me and the breath of God is working in me to remind me that I'm not condemned but I am free and that at the same time he creates within me a deep sense of of confidence, a sense of faith, a relationship, an intimacy, a closeness with Christ. And that's why we need to surrender ourselves to the Spirit. Because we are meant to do that. Three things I want to mention to you that come out from this scripture. And three things that uh, the great theologian and... and, and um, And thinker uh, John Stott highlighted in this passage, and I've sort of taken his comments and thoughts. And uh, and he's no longer with us, of course. A great, uh, probably one of the most significant evangelical theologians of the last century. I was fortunate enough to have dinner with him once after he heard me preach, which was a little scary because he was about ninety. And uh, but he. um, a beautiful man, and they used to call him uncle, of course, uh, down at All Souls, um, where he preached for so many years as the evangelist and theologian there. But, but he says this, and I want to echo these points. First of all, when we read this verse, it makes us realize that we must really know the need for the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. I want to call this hunger. 
That in our lives, we need to realize that we have to be a hungry people to have the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, bringing theological and biblical truths alive within us. To live in the truth of this verse, when so many of us live in condemnation, is to have a deep hunger for God's spirit and God's presence to be at work within our lives. How hungry are you? How hungry am I to say, I want you, Holy Spirit, to consume my life and to fill my life and come to me. I think the second thing he makes the point is that Not only should we have the need, and my word is hunger, the second point is that we have to be honest with ourselves. There is an honesty that when we compare the reality of the Christian experience in the early church, the book of Acts, and the early fathers, and the drive and passion of their faith, and their utter devotion, and their commitment, and their experience to the word of God, that in so many areas of the Western Christian church, we are lacking that experience, that reality, that fire, that strength of God at work in our lives. So we have to be honest. Where am I in this journey? Am I living under the condemnation of the law of sin and death? Set me free from the law of sin and death. What does it mean by the law of sin and death? Well, it means all the things that come with the curse. All the things that come with sin. All the fruits of sin. That when you are angry, it produces bitterness and bitterness can wreck lives for generations. When you fill your thoughts with negativity and, and um, judgment, it affects your spirit. That affects the way we interact with people around us. That when we speak badly of people, we, we sow um, discord and and. and uh, Pain and, and metaphorical weeds all around our family and our life. When we live by the law of sin and death, it condemns us that we will die and have to face the judgment. The law of sin and death is all around us. Just speak to the Garcias about young lives that have come from all over Europe to the uh, trash heaps of Madrid, uh, to the, the slums of the outer city and where their lives have been wrecked. How have they been wrecked? They have been wrecked from the law of sin and death. And there is only one power that can liberate wrecked lives who are in the slums of our cities and the darkness of this world. There is only one law, one gospel that changes lives. And it is the law of the Spirit that gives life and sets people free. That's what does it. And I want you to believe that Jesus sets people free. 
I want you to believe that the drug addict can be set freed and experience the life of God. I want you to believe that those who are broken in their sinfulness and in their greed can be set free and experience the power of God. I want us to believe as a church like never before. And people always get saved here. Last night, two people gave their lives to the Lord at the end of the service. It was awesome. Nothing... No preaching, it was just Pastor Steve doing what he does. One a week, Steve. And, and God is, is moving and working. But we've got to believe this as a people. We've got to believe. So there's a hunger. There's an honesty. Where are you at? And then thirdly, there has to be a desire to go higher. John Stott says there has to be a desire to go deeper. But you get the meaning. I wanted all the H's to line up. Um, But there is a desire that we want to go deeper. We don't want to live on milk. We want to live on meat. We want to go deeper. That's just not an intellectual process. That is a joyous passion on fire. We are not a condemned people. We are not under Adam. But we are in this little word that those who are in Christ. See that little word, in? It is the most important word. In. You are in Christ. Now you can either be in one of two places. You can either be in Adam, who is under the curse of sin and death, and the DNA of sinfulness runs through humanity. Just watch the news and see what is going on in the world today. You see the DNA of humanity's sinfulness and fallenness. So I'm either in Adam, condemned, an enemy of God, or I am somewhere else. And where am I? I am in Christ. I'm in Christ. I am no longer under the curse of Adam. I am under the blessing of Christ. I am no longer under the curse of sin and death and darkness. I am a free person living under the law of the Spirit and I am forgiven. I am blessed. I flourish because I have a living relationship with Christ. I'm not going lower. I'm going higher. And, and when you understand Romans 8, which we are going to take to pieces like a... A beautiful vintage car that needs to be just looked at and understood. And that's a terrible illustration. Uh, But you know what I'm saying. Never make an illustration up on the fly, Phil. Particularly when when the church is full of mechanics all around. But we want to look at each part and understand each part of how it affects our lives. So you're either in Adam... Or you're in Christ. If you're in Adam, you are condemned by the law of sin and death. And if you're in Christ, you are free by the law of the Spirit. You're doing awesome. Um, I do email most of this to Jasmine uh, a day or two before with all the theological phrases. And um, so she does awesome, doesn't she? Uh, But... So, where I'm going to take this to, if we are condemned, you see, 
the work of the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit is present. So what does the Spirit do? Well, it internalizes these truths and makes them a living reality in you. The Spirit also mediates within you so that where there are areas in our inner character, there is no condemnation, but there is often character corruption, that that, that the Spirit comes and starts to Increase the light of God in our lives so that the darkness is pushed out. That when the Spirit is present, it starts to bring those springs of living waters of the Spirit that is present in our lives start to bubble and start to fill every area of our lives. And I can say this truly. When I've seen people travel... From although they're in Christ, the old flesh, the old Adam is still at work. But as they allow the Holy Spirit to let the truth of the word of God transform them and the power of Christ work and realize that they're not condemned, that God will change their character, although we are not condemned, he will change our character we will always feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit when he wants to change us, shape us, and continue to transform us into what? Into the likeness of Jesus. Conviction is part of our journey. And religion says, pedal harder, push on, keep going. You're not good enough. That's what religion does. That's what the law of sin and death does. That's what the rituals of the old way tell us that we have to keep working, keep doing, do the correct thing, keep peddling. And boy, as we keep peddling and keep going, don't we feel condemned? I did a foolish thing last summer. I entered a bike race. You know those guys that ride bicycles in Lycra and those light little lights that whiz around? I am simply not built for it. I I entered a a race from Kelowna to the top of Big White. I thought this was a good idea. (laughs) I arrived there and it was surrounded by Lycra-clad individuals with super technology, beautiful bikes worth tens of thousands. There were professionals there. There were 250 of these road racers. And I turned up, hello. And and I joined the association of of, uh, semi-professional bike riders of BC, just to get the insurance. Um, And I'd only been on a bike five times. So... I'm a marathon runner, but I'd never do it. But I thought, there were some friends doing it, encouraging me. And (laughs) no longer friends. Um, (laughs) And and we all got, I jumped on my bike and I started pedaling. Very quickly, I felt condemned. Because those wonderful, super fit biking people were ahead of me. And we started off at McCullough by the pub there. (laughs) It wasn't open. I needed it. Uh, I joke. 
but I, I pushed on. And I went down Mission Creek, around the switchbacks, and then up, up towards Highway 33 to go 4,636 feet to the top from that point. I realized as I was coming up through Black Mountain that I was last. And I felt condemned. And all I could say was, pedal harder, pedal harder, pedal harder. And the lady in front of me was in front of me. I said, it looks like I'm the last. And she said to me, yes, we are, aren't we? In an English accent. Uh, I said, I've only been on a bike five times. So we kept going and and my whole point in life was to beat that lady. (laughs) And thank you, Jesus, I did. All I was saying was, I'm, I'm bad. I'm really bad. I'm really... At one point, an older lady who was clearly in her 70s on a different style of bike with a bun in her hair rode past me. <laughs> That's what religion does. That's what the law of sin and death does. Pedal harder, you're not good enough. Look, everybody's passing you. You're never going to make it. You are useless. We condemn ourselves. The whisper campaign condemns us. But Christ says, I have set you free. So I think I should give up cycling. (laughs) And I think what I should do is that I should buy a sailing boat. Put up the mask, put the sail out, sit back, let the wind fill the sail, and let the wind propel me. And there you have a brilliant theological explanation of the law of sin and death is a bike ride to the top of a mountain that you feel you can never reach. And the law of the Spirit is that you let God's Holy Spirit fill the sails of your life. You start working and you let God do it. You step back. You become fully available. You've got to open up your sails wide and you let the presence of the Holy Spirit fill you. Fill you. Fill you, and that's what propels you. He brings that internalization into your life. You know what? Under Adam, we condemned yes to hell, but the only hell you will ever face in your life is the hell that we may travel through in this world. But you have been redeemed, you have been saved, you will live forever, and eternity is yours. No hell. This world is tough. We know that. We know that from the news this week. But we know all that has taken place that we see the glimmer of God's grace in the middle. We see the glimmer of God's hope that he has set us free from the law of sin and death. So justification When you fail, 
when you get overdrawn, when things go wrong, because of Christ Jesus, I like to think that I have a credit card of justification. And I can't pay the bill on that. But Jesus Christ has given me this. And when I fail, and when I struggle, and when I battle, I am justified with that credit card of justification, and I can pay the price, not the price, not through me, but has been paid through Christ. And he debits that account. He doesn't put it at zero. He puts it at plus. You, you, it's been paid for. Somebody's paid the bill. And in many sense, it's time to enjoy our faith. To enjoy what Christ has set us free. So read Romans 8 this week again and again. Start to look at it. Start to think about it. It's a big chapter. Start to allow it to become part of your life. Stop peddling. Start sailing. And know that God is with you. Next week, I'll carry on with the next two verses and unpack them for us. Let the creative breath of God do that within your life. Let's stand together.